0: You're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Now today, I'm speaking again with Alex Svetsky, who has been on the show before, but today we're talking about his new product, the Bitcoin Times. And this is a special one for us because it's an Austrian-themed edition. So of course, as you know, I'm a big fan of Austrian economics, so I had to get him on to chat about it. Now, as we come up to the holiday season, it's time to think about gifting. Swan fixes this. Swan has a gifting product available. So you can use this to gift Bitcoin to your family or friends. It's swan.com slash gift. Now, the product works this way. You sign up with the platform. You assign an amount of fiat. You send that to your friends and family. They get notified through an email. And then they sign up and then they convert that fiat into Bitcoin. Now, you're not just gifting Bitcoin. You're also gifting the... The gift of Swan's ongoing customer service and support. It's world-class. Some of the testimonials are fantastic, so I'm just going to read some. Very good and fast as usual. Another one is solid answers from real people. Gotta love it. And thirdly, Swan support is awesome, very responsive. So if you want to give the gift of Bitcoin and the gift of education about Bitcoin, go to swan.com gift. When it comes to Bitcoin security and hardware, CoinKite.com is the website to go visit. Now, they have a really cool product called the Tap Signer. This is just like a credit card, but it's actually a Bitcoin hardware device, and it has NFC enabled, meaning you can use it to tap with your phone and on wallets such as Nunchuck, so it's very easy to use. It comes in at a cheaper price point. It's about $44. This can be part of your multi-signature or maybe a smaller hot wallet or potentially for somebody in the developing world who needs a cheaper device. TapSigner is a fantastic option to consider. Or of course, if you want the top of the line device, the cold card MK4, you can get all of this over at coinkite.com. Use code lavera for a discount on your cold cards. Now, if you're in the market for a Bitcoin and liquid wallet, green is Blockstream's industry-leading phone and desktop wallet. Gain access to powerful features such as multi-signature security, full-node verification, and Tor support. So with the multi-signature shield, you hold one key on your device, another is held on Blockstream's servers as the two-factor authentication, and you can have a time lock or a third backup key to ensure you retain full ownership of your funds. You can also use this wallet in single-signature mode if that's what you prefer, and it has integrations with hardware wallets such as Blockstream, Jade, Ledger, and Trezor. So if you're interested in this, it's available for iOS, Android, or desktop. Go to blockstream.com/green. And now onto the show with Svetsky. Svetsky, welcome back to the show. Lavera, good to see you again, buddy. So it's, uh, it's been a while. Yeah, it has. It has since you've been on the show. Of course, uh, we've been uh, seeing each other at some various Bitcoin <laughs> conferences and events around. Australian refugees. That's right. Just <laughs> on, 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 into on the each run in every other country. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's funny because um I guess uh, there's these networks right of like Aussie Bitcoiners out there, and you sort mm-hmm. of end up running into each other out out and about. I ran into some uh, uh, down at. Uh, in El Salvador as well, actually, um, and some at Pacific yeah, okay. Bitcoin also. Um, but anyway, let's get into. I think we. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think we've. I think we've actually caught up more overseas than we
1: did ever in Australia. I think. Yeah, I think we did actually. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure we have. Yeah, that's that's funny. Anyway, yeah. but yeah. Let's um. But yeah, let's, let's get let's into get it. Into this
0: I, I know you've got uh, the Bitcoin Times, which has been running for some time, and we've got the Austrian edition. Obviously, as a long time fan of Austrian economics, we had to chat about this one. So let's start with a little bit about you know why why start the Bitcoin Times like what is this why and why start it Yeah, cool. So the the original uh, how how
1: it sort of emerged was I I got invited to speak at this uh, this blockchain conference uh in <laughs> in sydney actually if you do you, do you remember oh, what are they called um wholesale investor if, if you remember those guys
0: i don't know them um,
1: but yeah go on yeah so, so they're kind of like a capital raising forum and they put on you know like events for people to basically come and raise money and and anyway in, in 2017 they like i, I went there because I, I was founding amber and i needed to raise some money and it was funny i was the only bitcoin company there um, and the whole conference was full of people launching ICOs for you name it. Like there was <laughs> ICOs for toasters, ICOs for for everything. And I was like the only Bitcoin company. Like and we had no token, no nothing. We're just raising equity. You know, novel novel concept here. And I I got on stage and I and I buried the notion of ICOs as like the biggest scam ever. And I remember what happened. Uh, there was like everyone. Um, like I bifurcated the room basically like half the room was like we're gonna kill you and the other half of the room was like finally someone got up and said something that made sense I don't know what the hell these people have been talking for about for the last two days like why am I buying tokens why can't I buy the company right so anyway like the the event organizers like he was watching me in the back of the room and I saw his like his face went white and afterwards he's like look you know please never come to our event again, right? So anyway, a year later was when, you know, obviously all the ICO stuff blew up and everything. And I got this sheepish email from him saying, look, I know I, you know, said some bad things last time, but it turned out you were right about ICOs, you know, and thank you for saying what you did. We've had a lot of, you know, really good feedback. So look, this year we're doing another conference, but don't worry, there's no ICOs. This year it's about blockchain. I'm sure you understand that that's going to change a lot. And I was like, oh, you to be kidding me. <laughs> so I went to this conference and, um and, you know, again, my talk was, you know, blockchain is dead. The future is on lightning. And that was the whole premise of the talk. But I didn't tell him what I was going to talk about. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going to talk about how, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain is the most important. He's like, oh, that'll be good. You know, we, we've got all these other blockchains there and it'll be good to give people a different point of view. So I had all this stuff I wanted to say, but it was too much for my talk. I only had 30 minutes. So I took all of it and I packed it into like a PDF that we gave out um on the on the day and it was this kind of like 30 pages worth of just why blockchain is you know wrong you know kind of broke it down into the three broken promises of a blockchain which you know the whole point is like security um but you know you remove the proof of work then you don't have security you, you know like i don't have to explain to this audience why blockchain is stupid so anyway i did all that i got up i gave the talk again and it was funny he was in the back of the room again, and. It was the same thing. Like I put the first slide, I said, so everyone thinks I'm going to be talking about why the Bitcoin blockchain is better. But the reality is, I'm going to tell you why blockchain is the next biggest scam after ICOs. (laughs) And his face (laughs) just went white in the background again. (laughs) And anyway, that's kind of how the Bitcoin Times started. And we had this pamphlet, and we just couldn't, we just came up with a name for the day. We just called it the Bitcoin Times. We handed it out, and the feedback was incredible. And I don't know, after that, we sat down and we're like, look, maybe we can design this into something nice um, and give it away as a free PDF. So we did that. And then later that year, uh, so end of, I think it was 2019 or whatever, I um, I thought, you know, maybe I can do this as a, you know, once a year, twice a year, a little collection of uh, essays. So I reached out to to Breedlove, to Gigi, to uh, who else was in that first one? Nick Carter, Connor Brown, who I haven't seen Connor Brown around for a long time. Um There was Rory was in there. Um, Haas was in there, actually. Um, So so there were those eight essays. It was really good. That was edition two. It was called the Sovereignty Edition. We released that in 2019. Then I did edition three. That was with Jeff Booth and Giacomo and Eric and Jimmy Song and Parker Lewis. Uh, That was a a solid one. That was probably the most um, famous one. That one kind of like, you know, made Bitcoin Times relatively well known and then last year I did uh, edition four that was the a new hope um with uh toma Brandon quidham uh, alan farrington uh, peter sanongie and um and craig wonke and that was kind of uh like a forward pacing one and yeah the 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 plan was always to do like a a printed collectible you know something that people can have and really make it limited edition and you know design every edition nicely so it was just I was always too busy with Amber. And then uh, earlier this year, I packed up and finished up sort of my, my last ties with Australia and with Amber and everything. And I've gone, you know, double down full content. And yeah, I'm going to make something of the Bitcoin Times where it's an it's a annual once a year publication. We'll do 21 editions over 21 years. Um, each one will come with like a theme where we bring the best thinkers in Bitcoin and look at the theme through the lens of Bitcoin and Bitcoin through the lens of the theme which is effectively what this year's is, is Austrian, uh, the Austrian edition. And yeah, it'll be 2100, so 2100 of each edition will ever be printed and they'll be uniquely numbered on the back. And they're printed as a really high quality, thick, uh, matte finish collectible. Like it's, they're heavy. You can feel it in the, in the quality and they're all uniquely numbered. Um, and there's like six numbers that we're going to hold for auction. So one of 2100. Uh, twenty-one hundred of twenty-one hundred, of course. Ten thirty-one of twenty-one hundred. Uh, copy twenty-one of twenty-one hundred. So of each edition, you know, those unique copies will be will be auctioned off, and um, and yeah, people can get in there and buy the collectibles, and we'll do it on Amazon. So, so there's this whole plan now, which is to yeah, timeless content printed beautifully and available online as a PDF.
0: Great. And so let's talk a little bit about Austrian economics now. I want to hear a little bit about how you got into Austrian economics, and you know what is it about Austrian economics that appeals to you?
1: Yeah, so my my early journey was uh, I kind of had some sprinkling of Austrian economics back in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, which was post obviously GFC. Um, I maybe even as early as 2008, actually, with like, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, pseudo Austrian economics, so like Mike Maloney, and you know, the gold bugs and all of that sort of stuff, right? So not not real, like, Keynesian, sorry, Keynesian Jesus, uh, Misesian, or any of that sort of Austrian economics. So I had been, while I was at university, I was studying civil engineering, and I couldn't sit still. So I took my scholarship money, and I placed it on the stock market to try and, you know, make a lot of money, right? And 2007, I did well. 2008, I got wiped actually no sorry 2000 early 2007 I did well late 2007 I got wiped 2008 I did okay because I learned how to short the market um so so it was kind of this whole mishmash but in the end anyway like it basically turned into a gambling addiction and I took you know all my scholarship money um and everything I'd made and leveraged and all of this stuff and I found myself at the age of 21 about a quarter of a million dollars in debt and that's sort of where my entrepreneurial journey kicked off, but also where I first, I was like reading, I was like, what the hell did I do wrong? You know, and then I learned about QE and money printing and the gold standard and, you know, that sort of stuff. Now I didn't specifically go down the Austrian rabbit, uh, the Austrian rabbit hole at that point. Like it was, I kind of, I just related to it. It made sense. Like I, I just sort of had this intuition that, yeah, well, you just can't print money like that doesn't make any sense because if you know the the productivity is not increasing like what the hell does the money mean so like all all this sort of stuff kind of made sense to me but you know life took me on a different set of journeys i went and started different businesses you know really went entrepreneurial and it wasn't until bitcoin again when i found it in sort of late 2015 2016 again and started going down that rabbit hole um you know, initially, as we, I mean, I don't know if we all do this, but definitely for me, the story was I found Bitcoin, thought I was going to make millions of dollars. Um, but the more I dug, the more I found something interesting and important here. And it was that that rekindled the Austrian econ stuff for me. And, you know, I'd say probably between listening to your podcasts, um, reading Safe's book again, and then really in 2019, probably 2020, was when I really moved into like actually reading some stuff so I read my first uh, bit of Rothbard and yeah like w- when I read Rothbard it was like you know that meme like you know yeah, <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was it was at that kind of moment for me I was like what the hell is what the hell have I been missing what have I been doing and yeah like if, if it's funny if you look at my audible um Library, like I've got like 400 books in there now, and it's like it was all like business books and personal development and psychology and thinking. And then all of a sudden, you see like the first bit of Austrian economics come in, like you know, Rothbard, and then all of a sudden, everything's like Austrian economics, like the whole library just changes, and you know, it's like sovereign individual, the you know, when money dies, like you know,
0: basically extremist. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And it's funny in a way, I mean, what's seen as quote-unquote extreme nowadays, I mean, of course, I mean, this point has been made before, this idea that the window shifts so far that Mm -hmm. even a normal person from 100 years ago, or you know, 150 years ago, you know, the views of that person are just seen as like some crazy, radical, extremist person, but the reality is that many people did believe some of these things and... And we'll get into some of this around, you know, why certain ideas and schools of thought, quote unquote, won out in the mainstream (laughs) system as opposed to, (laughs) let's say, the Austrian ideas that you and I would like to see propagated around there. So I guess the next question I've got is why do an Austrian edition? Yeah, well, I mean, I
1: think there's, it was funny when I was thinking about what we're going to do for this year's theme. I, I just thought, look, this is the first year I'm really taking the Bitcoin time seriously. What is Integral to Bitcoin, and I I don't think there is anything. I mean, other than the the obvious computer science component. But I mean, I don't think anyone wants to sit there and read about cryptography equations, you know, in seventy pages of a you know nicely designed thing. So, I mean, maybe maybe there is, but maybe there's a market for that. that, You know,
0: I think (laughs) (laughs) maybe,
1: maybe. But I, I just thought, you know, there there is Austrian economics is like. Embedded within Bitcoin, and, and Bitcoin, in many ways, as is argued in the in this edition, is a, is a manifestation, is a practical application of the Austrian school of thought. And yeah, I just thought, who, who, what, what better topic to relaunch effectively the the Bitcoin Times, and what better group of individuals than people like you know Saifedine and you know Pierre and Bitstein, etc. To like really fountainhead this edition you know and you know i obviously wish i had you in there but you know time time was a little bit tough and you know we we couldn't get you squeezed in but we'll do an austrian edition part two or maybe the australian edition like i told you <laughs> you vj konzo or something but um yeah i think it, it was just the, the topic just felt right and i'm so happy with how the essays turned out like we've got such a beautiful spread of ideas in here and yeah i can't i can't wait to share it with everyone
0: yeah, no, that's great, and I've obviously I've had a chance to read it. So for the listeners, so you're aware. Um, so we can talk about some of them um, and pull out some of the key ideas, and and just maybe chat a little bit about some of the key insights that were shared. So, for example, Safety's got his piece about making time preference low again in this one. And so, those of us who are fans of Austrian economics or call ourselves Austro libertarians, we like a lot of Hopper's thinking in how time preference has this relationship with civilization and that actually people being able to accumulate capital is actually what creates what we now know as, as a nice peaceful civilization, as opposed to, the you know horrible brutish short life without these nice things that we all enjoy Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i mean the the whole basis of the time preference argument is the basis of the bitcoin fixes this meme right and this is sort of what a lot of bitcoiners kind of intuitively understand even if they can't articulate it and you know people like hopper etc have i think been the best in the world to articulate the central importance of time preference for civilization like if if an individual you know the, the the who is the constituent of a civilization cannot in some way shape or form like store you know the the excess product of their you know labor or the value that they create they can't save effectively and without saving you don't have civilization you can't sort of build a bedrock or a foundation you can't move forward and and, and saving is the thing that allows you to plan for the future to to effectively lower your time preference uh, because you know you have something uh moving forward and if you you've like these things are so interrelated and that's kind of where i think you get that uh light bulb moment with bitcoin where it's you know it's not a thing that you're doing to make money or to trade or or to any of that sort of stuff it's like it's not just about payments and things like that you this sort of this light bulb moment switches for you when you're sort of going down that bitcoin rabbit hole where you're like holy crap bitcoin fixes saving (laughs) And by fixing saving downstream, it fixes all of civilization, because now you can lower your time preference, you can think for the future, you can orient yourself towards longer term planning, so that you don't have to just react like an animal every day, you can actually be a human, you can actually think of things that are of higher order. And that is, yeah, I I think of all things, and and I touch on this, I think, in my essay as well, like where the keynesians kind of want to i don't know if you want me to jump on that but like the keynesians were have basically de-civilized us by heightening time preference to such a degree that nobody thinks about the future anymore no one thinks about any of that sort of stuff anymore and it's kind of like
0: animalistic and easy versus i I don't know like the hard uh, path. yeah and i think i think you're right i think there's something to that now it's a question of whether that's deliberate or is it more like uh mistake or maybe it's more like the incentives of the system drove it that way right now we could also talk about this question of austrian economics as we know it used to be just economics economics We went yeah. back like a hundred you know maybe in the in the 1900s or something like this in the early 1900s it just was economics it, it just shifted over time so what we now what what people get typically taught at schools and universities this kind of neoclassical keynesian idea or the alternative is the monetarism idea so that's kind of all you get shown at university and high school economics or that's typically what you get taught and so it raises that question why was it why was this stuff the one that got promoted in the mainstream so-called mainstream schools and universities and partly it could be that it gives an excuse to politicians and people in power to intervene more whereas obviously The Austrian school and Austrian school economists tend to be more free market in nature, and they tend to be saying, no, you should not do government intervention. So I'm curious your thoughts on that, on this idea of why is it that if Austrian economics is correct, how come it didn't intellectually remain in command? As you said, it's. I, I don't think it's as
1: clear cut to say that. Hey, this is all one big conspiracy by the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers and the lizards to impose totalitarian rule on all the world, right? Like that's just, in my view, you know, Alex Jones was right about things on the surface, but you know, the raison d'etre behind it, I think, is a, uh, is a little bit naive to just think that, you know, that this is all a grand plan. I, I think what happens as you said is the incentives orient in such a way in the near term that, you know, everyone is effectively looking out for themselves and, you know, Austrian economics is very aware of that. It says that. Um, and that's why it says, you know, not to try and play with the dials too much because when you do people then reorient and everyone is kind of like trying to you know get out for themselves. And, and I think the problem that sort of emerged, and this is, this is interesting. Like I spoke with Rahim about this, who's, um, you know, student of hopper brilliant guy wealth of knowledge also one of the writers in this um edition and he he said something about he said modernity is a combination of uh basically uh what did he call it like not merchant banking but he he called it like sort of industrial banking or you know modern finance effectively with the industrial age like that sort of stuff came together and effectively you had the the emergence of the the modern state right this sort of republican kind of ideal democratic state and what that like it flourished in a period of increasing centralization and in that increasing centralization what you ended up having was this the emergence of these power centers who believed that you know it, it was their duty in some degree to do everything and and i would i was thinking about this actually the other day like you know I even think a person like Bismarck, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, you know, he's sort of like one of the, the fountainheads of the, you know, the, the centralization of the world and, you know, the, the state you know, apparatus and everything. But I think if you took him from back then and kind of brought him to here, he'd be embarrassed about sort of the way the world went. He'd be like, Jesus Christ, what the hell did, what the hell happened? Or, or Napoleon, for example, or, or even any of those sort of early figures who were sort of forces towards centralization. I don't think they really knew what was happening. I think they were naive enough to think that, hey, I've managed to amass a lot of power, whether you know, politically, militarily, or economically, um, and particularly with the rise of the industrial age, like that transformed everything. You know, it, the world moved from a feudal age into into the kind of the the bourgeoisie age, uh, for, for for lack of a better term, and and that created massive massive uh disruption to you know the the social strata that was existed before and you know the 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 amount of money people had you know unlocked wealth all this sort of stuff and it was very tumultuous and i think we as a species maybe if we sort of step back on a long enough time frame you know maybe we'll look back on this a thousand years from now and say look that's what we had to go through because during that phase of centralization we basically civilization like outpaced the capacity for gold to solve the problems of exchange like so so we had and and Goldstein writes about this um, in in his piece is that with gold lacking in its properties you know to be used as um, broadly available money fiat had to step in to solve a few things but you know as we said at the beginning of sort of this point is that step by step you end up making these decisions which force you down a path that you don't really know you're going down and take that out 10 steps 50 steps 100 steps 200 steps then the logical decision seems to be you know well look we've come this far let's you know let's try and fix it again you know let's try and organize it and the very thing that you're trying to do sends you in the wrong direction so i think in many ways you've got that and then i think also like I've, in my article i've got this uh, the usda food pyramid right <laughs> i say that you know i'm going to quote something from the from the article it says you may be thinking Uh, if Austrian economics is so good, just and functional, uh, why on earth have I not heard about this and why is it so obscure? And then I said, to which I would reply simply with the following, the USDA pyramid, uh, the food pyramid, which basically places, you know, the base of your uh, diet should be um, bread and pasta and carbs. And the thing you should have the least of is, you know, butter and red meat. In fact, I think in their thing, they they have like um, alcohol, plant oils, is more important apparently than eating red meat. So, so it's kind of like this, <laughs> this derangement of thinking that emerges from, from you know, scientism, from centralization, centralizing forces, from naivete. Like it's all sort of mixed in there. And, and I think this has sort of been the, um, the era of that, the era of peak fiat. And that's I would argue why the Keynesians have won the the recent battles. But, you know, you can only lie to yourself for so long until everything breaks and then you need to sort of have an awakening and i think that's sort of the moment that we're in now with bitcoin
0: yeah i think you're right and i think it it's it's driving it's coming to a point where the consequences are now being shown to all of us right whether that is energy crisis Mm -hmm. in various parts around the world, whether that is high inflation and people are now sadly struggling to afford things in terms of food and the life standard. So a lot of people, unfortunately, because of the craziness of the last few years and just the buildup of bad decision making over decades, people are taking a step backwards in living standards, which is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. also in recent decades, that's unprecedented because up until this point, you could sort of argue that, okay, for the most part, living standards were going up. But now it's like we're, we're going in reverse right now, which is unfortunate. Um, and I think we need Bitcoin as a corrective. Um, and also that reminds me as well, the point that uh, Safety makes in his essay in, 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 the, in the, this edition of the Bitcoin Times, he talks about how Bitcoin changes our behavior. More people start to save. People start having a family. People start giving up drug addiction and dealing drugs instead. And now they're actually thinking more about how how can they save, right? And so I'm curious. Have you seen that in either yourself or in other people in Bitcoin?
1: It's funny how you just pulled on that thread because I was literally going to want to pull on the same thread around like where you said our material, uh, basically living standards have been uh, increasing but what's interesting is during the fiat age i would argue that a lot of our um, moral standards have actually been decreasing in the background so we've had this sort of increasing uh material standards but yeah. decreasing moral standard now with the like we there's sort of been this like gap between the two that's been you know emerged like growing and growing and growing and growing, and now because there's nothing substantiating the level of material standard that we've created and all of the consequences are now catching up now it's like the material standards are going to start dropping and in the process it's actually i think going to accelerate the moral standards going down because people are going to start to get desperate so, so you sort of have this downward spiraling negative feedback loop effectively
0: yeah and i mean that reminds me of even like when you see when in like poorer countries where there's just more crime right there's yeah. just more theft yeah, totally like, and I mean, I have like probably I could probably even think of real examples that I'm hearing from some of my family in Sri Lanka where, you know, when things are going down economically, they were literally seeing more people stealing just because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. what else are they going to do? Yeah, people get desperate.
1: People get desperate. And that's and that's super sad. So like, you know, I, I said negative feedback loop before, but it's actually, you know, Mike really put it, it's a negative positive feedback loop in the sense that it's a bad thing, but it feeds on itself. And you know, to to, to Safedine's point, and, and what you just said there is like, I mean, you know, Bitcoin is kind of like a emergent reaction to the moral decay that has been sort of uh, setting into civilization. And in fixing, um, in, in giving people a mechanism through which they can sort of save and start thinking a little bit long term, it actually helps maybe turn that moral decay around and in fixing that piece then we have a chance to turn this ship around in a material decay standpoint um you know the, the thing is and this is probably going to be the challenging partner and i've said this in the past is that we are simultaneously the um the luckiest generation but also the generation that drew the short straw from the bundle in that we're going to have to endure a clown world because as much as you know bitcoin's gonna fix a whole lot of things there's a there's a delay right like it's not you know and and this is where all the all the shit coiners and all the you know people who think you can just like fix something by pressing a button they don't understand they're like yeah bitcoin's been around for 14 years but look the world is still fucked up it's like bro you, you can't turn the titanic around you know with a single turn of the wheel like it takes time like so so i think as as i just sort of said is we're gonna we're lucky enough to effectively be the founding fathers of a new a new world. I honestly think like this is how significant the Bitcoin innovation is, but we're also going to have to go through, uh, you know, maybe crashing into five or six icebergs along the way and hope we don't sink the Titanic, <laughs> and <laughs> come yeah. out the other side um, in a better direction.
0: Back to the show in a moment. Now, with all of the chaos in the quote unquote crypto markets and the exchanges. Unchained Capital is essential for you to consider. They can help you secure your big HODL stack, your main stash of coins using multi-signature. Now, they are really big on removing single points of failure and you should be too. It's honestly an important thing that can give you that peace of mind knowing that you can make one or two small mistakes here and there without losing all of your coins depending on your setup. So with Unchained Capital, you can use a two of three multi-signature setup. They can teach you how to do this. They've got a concierge onboarding program where you pay up front. They ship you the hardware if you need it. They do a video call. They teach you how to do it even if you've never done this before. So unchained.com slash concierge. Use the code Levera and you get a discount on your concierge onboarding program. Improve to multi-signature security today. And finally, when it comes to using Bitcoin and Lightning, an essential tool is a block explorer and mempool.space is my favorite one. They show the multiple layers of the Bitcoin ecosystem in a comprehensive way. You can see the mempool, you can see the blockchain, you can see second layer networks such as Lightning, you can use the Lightning Explorer to see the channels, the fees that are associated with those channels and the UTXOs even associated with those channels. It's a fantastic explorer. You can also self-host it using the various full-node distributions such as Umbral, Blitz, and others. Now, if you're with an enterprise, mempool.space offers custom mempool instances with your company's branding. You get increased API limits and more. Go learn more at mempool.space slash enterprise. And now back to the show. Yeah, and it reminds me as well when, um, let's say somebody has been eating very poorly and they've got a very bad diet and they get fat but here's the thing they didn't just get fat overnight so like sometimes you'll see that person who's like going on the diet or trying to change their dietary you know habits and their lifestyle but they expect everything to come back in a day it's like mate Mm -hmm. you didn't get Mm -hmm. fat in a day you're not going to get like healthy in a day either like it's going to take time because and the other really insidious thing is you know, and we I think Austrian economists can explain and understand this better. Is this idea that capital accumulation takes time, and that what happens in periods of high time preference is people end up eating the seed corn, or they end up doing the equivalent of you know uh, taking that nice wooden chair and throwing it in the fire because they need warmth right now, right? It just it ends up destroying a lot of the productive infrastructure of society and it's not just physical things it's also even labor skills like what labor skills are there out there that people have quote-unquote forgotten how to do like if we lose the ability for people to let's say quickly build up nuclear power you know maybe maybe that's something that we have lost over time or we're sort of losing over time because of the constant efforts against productivity and reliable energy yeah yeah yeah. i, I mean th- that's that's a that's a huge problem as well and then then there's 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 the more subtle ones
1: which is craftsmen are disappearing right like everyone is uh racing to become a you know a, a financial person or you know a trader or you know or an influencer nowadays right an influencer exactly like all, all this crap right and what, what's happening is we like we, we've got a, a massive gap of like skilled workers who can do, you know, the the things that keep the world moving, you know, like sorting out the electricity or, you know, building a house or, you know, using your hands for something. It's like, and, and you see it in like modern architecture. Like, like I, I've been traveling Europe for, for the last couple of months with the wife and, you know, going into the, the old churches and like, you know, we went to Milan, for example, and seeing the level of detail in those buildings. Like, I don't actually think with all the modern technology that we have, I don't think we could actually recreate any of that stuff because those craftsmen are gone. Like we were in um, in Florence, and you look at the detail on the um, on the doors of the uh, uh, what was it? Not not the not the actual Duomo itself, but the where the where they baptize people right next door. Man, like <laughs> the, the the level of artistic dedication and devotion and beauty is like that's all being eroded because as you said, people are getting desperate. Like you you have to have some level of uh, wealth and savings. And Raheem and I actually spoke about this in the podcast that we just did is like, if you don't have that level of wealth and savings, you don't have the space to think about higher order stuff. Like you're not going to sit there and learn how to design something really nice when you're desperate to eat, like, you know, or, or you're not going to figure out a, an ergonomic chair when you just need to sit down so you know, you're just going to chop a stump and sit down on the stump so like beauty and complexity and all of that nice stuff emerges after we have the you know the base settled and what we've sort of done in the last you know 100 200 years as a civilization is we've kind of dug up all the foundations and thrown them away as like uh, evil patriarchy and everything else is crumbling on top and we're wondering why and you know it's the fault of you radical thinkers for pointing out that we screwed everything up
0: Yeah, and I think this is also a point that Ron Paul has made, which is to say that it's no coincidence that the century of central banking was also coinciding with a century of almost total war. So there's just been massive destruction, massive wealth destruction, massive just moral decay over that 100 years or so. And, you know, a lot of it comes back to the creation of the Federal Reserve. It comes back to monetary intervention. It comes back to mindsets around regulation, licensing, things that stop, you know, just bureaucracy. And it's funny, in a way, we're seeing that now, um, even with Twitter, right? We're seeing Elon apparently, you know, either fired or basically induced a large percentage of Twitter to leave. And, you know, maybe there's something to that, that uh, he was able to achieve something by basically Trying to return sound engineering principles and thinking to the company, as opposed to having just a bunch of uh, you know overpriced hall monitors. Who, who <laughs> I know, right? With with what what was the the annual bill for food again, or something, or like what I think, was it? Like- oh, I can't remember. It was like four hundred dollars per person. Yeah. I think basically based on calculating the total amount allocated um as opposed to the marginal amount and went to factor in how many people were actually going into the office i think that's that was the number that he came up with wild wild i mean i i, I kind of laugh at the timeline we're on right it's like a it's it's a strange
1: strange world because like you know elon like, I'll, I'll give him credit where credit's due like he's an entrepreneur he's a problem solver um but he's, he's very much a, a fiat problem solver you know like so, so sort of he's got these kind of Beliefs and ideas that are very like current worldish um you know so so he's not sort of he's not a paradigmatically um forward thinking type of individualist so, so like for example you you put Elon Musk next to a Peter Thiel right Peter Thiel thinks about like what the world you know could be and he he really thinks like from a paradigmatically different way right whereas Elon in some ways he does that, but I think his um ideas are kind of like ridiculous like who the hell's going to go to Mars when we 've got all this land here and we have a little thing called oxygen, you know, and water like everywhere. I'm, I'm pretty sure we need to clean our room first before we, you know, go and spend ridiculous amounts of money going to some barren wasteland with no oxygen, and no water. Right. Yeah. It's a bit putting the cart before the horse, right? Totally. Totally. So, so I think, you know, th- there's some strange things like that, but just seeing all of this play out, like he becomes, you know, by far the richest man in the world. And like, you know, is basically a troll and takes over the the, the public square. You know, I was uh, hanging out with Jack a couple of weeks ago and just um, just picking his brain on like, you know, what his early thoughts were on Twitter and, you know, how he formed it and did he, did he envision it initially as this sort of public square? And, you know, and he kind of said, look, because that that wasn't what we were originally thinking. He said, I just was fascinated by the internet and how you could let people know uh, what you're doing and create this sort of... Way to tell the world like this is what's happening here. Um, and then he said it kind of then turned into, you know, these sort of conversations. He said the timeline came afterwards. So so Twitter's just sort of this fascinating story, and it's an example of like what happens in the world. Like Jack Dorsey didn't set out to create Twitter what it was today, right? It just sort of happened that way. And and that kind of is a is a microcosm of what we said earlier. It's like the the world just sort of ended up down this path because you can never know where you're going to end up like it it just there's you know these sort of series of iterations and anyway, it's sort of tie off the thought it's like it's a strange timeline that we're on that an individual like elon who is clearly a a talented problem solver and a strong leader but with a fiat sort of vision of the world is now the richest person who privately owns the the, (laughs) the the public square where all the communication happens it's it's so funny, man. It's so strange. Like I'm, nothing surprises me at this point.
0: Yeah. So bring it back to, you know, some of the articles. I think the other aspect that was interesting to me is just explaining exactly how and why Bitcoin achieves what it does. Because I, I think to people who are outsiders or you know, no coiners, they look at Bitcoiners and think, oh, just these crazy internet coin people or whatever. Mm-hmm. But really, when you actually look at Like if you actually dig into it and you understand, so for example, Conrad's article where he's explaining and he's contrasting Mm -hmm. these different theories of money, right? There's this David Mm -hmm. Graeber credit theory or debt as money idea. There's the state theory, the charterless theory, this idea that, okay, the the state or the King just dictates what the money is. And then there's this idea that, Oh, it's commodity theory of money that it has to form Mm -hmm. from being a metal like gold historically. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he's explaining and I think this is a really interesting point. So he says, what has formerly been done, so I'm quoting here, what has formerly been done with metallurgy, certifications, centralized record keeping, legal power and threats, and cartel coordination is now done with an open source protocol for a peer-to-peer network engaged in cryptographic verification using proof of work. Now I understand that's mm-hmm. like a lot of words, right? But the, po- <laughs> but the basic point is we're using Bitcoin software and the internet to coordinate in a way where previously you needed all these other things you need metallurgy you need certification you needed a lot of humans involved in that process
1: yeah yeah i mean th- this is sort of he uh conrad put in austrian terms what you know many bitcoiners have tried to you know basically describe in either memes or bumbling tweets or you know disjointed you know conversations right like he he's put some structure and rigor around that point which is you know, when, when people say, oh, you know, Bitcoin wastes a lot of electricity, right? And, you know, th- w- what I've always said to people is that, well, hold on, let's let's think about what needs to exist for you and I to go down to the local cafe and buy a coffee. You know, we, we need to we need to pull out our card, um, you know, and to, and to tap, you know, to, to do this little thing that is a tap, you know, you just think that we take that for granted. But what do you need? You need the point of sale uh, mechanism you need the the uh, you know between that and the bank there's like three intermediaries that need to exist so like the the bin issuer the um you know the the, the rails that enable that uh you need the visa and mastercard network and then you need the banking the, the bank itself and the bank needs to be plugged into a banking system and the banking system then is plugged into the central banking system think about all the people and the infrastructure and all the crap that needs to be built just to maintain that stuff and then you need like a judicial system you need a state to make sure you kind of let's just give them the benefit of the doubt that you know the state exists to keep them honest like you need all of that stuff and then you need the military industrial complex around that to make sure that you know there is a monopoly enforced in order to deliver all this it's like how much energy does that use so that you and I can go down to the cafe and buy a coffee and sort of when I frame it like that to people like holy crap, that, that's a lot. It's like, yeah, it's like everything like the, the, all, we've kind of caked on system over system over a system over a system to enable us to do what we necessarily have to do, which is human beings need to trade. And we need to measure that sort of language of value somehow. And that that's sort of the tool. That's the what the technology of money sort of, you know, enables. But because you know, we've sort of, you know, we've got to this point in stages throughout history, like it's this really like Rube Goldberg machine version of, you know, money that is holding civilization together. And, and it's broken. It's it's breaking at the seams. Like we've got, we've got a, you know, the, the tower of Babylon of money effectively. And, you know, Bitcoin kind of just does away with all of that, does away with the military industrial complex, does away with the state, does away with, you know, the, the payment networks, the banking, like the intermediaries, like, does away with all of that and replaces it with you know this Raspberry Pi level node that can plug into the internet that anybody can run and proof of work ASICs that convert electricity directly effectively into into money and I know that's an abstraction like it's not exactly how it happens but that is like not an order of magnitude but it's like multiple multiple orders of magnitude more efficient and you get a superior money that is more effective at doing the job, that is sound, that is fixed in supply and that is uncensorable. Like, holy crap. You have a a thousand X improvement on money with a thousand X improvement on uh, efficiency and efficacy. Like how is
0: that not like, yeah, just a massive improvement, right? Yeah.
1: It's yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think one other point that we're touching on here as well is arguably uh, a point that Bitstein made in his article where he was explaining that it's only through trusted third parties that gold could even become saleable right because on its mm-hmm. own it's not saleable right like you would have to verify that piece of gold you would need to transport it and you might need to have armed guards you might need a truck to move that much gold if it's a large amount that you're transferring it might take a long time like there are all these trusted third parties that were required, as you spelled out, right? This banking system, the military industrial complex, the state, the, the courts, the law, all all of these aspects that are required as infrastructure to even allow this gold, what previously was the gold standard to operate. And of course, in a sense, that's what we're trying to get away from. Of course, it's not going to fully obviate all of that, but I think moving into a Bitcoin system and showing you know seeing is believing right i was in el salvador and i was spending lightning at you know cafes and restaurants and things and i was trying to show videos of that so people could see actually look this is real world i'm spending at a starbucks and it's it's going straight to them so you know there, there are all these aspects of which i think it's difficult to explain how bitcoin achieves what it does and maybe that's part of our challenge right is when we're out there trying to teach it to people and of course our tendency and, you know, maybe listeners of my show as well can be into going into technicals, right? But we have to be skillful enough to explain it to people in a simple way. So the, the analogy I've, I've often used is this idea that we don't need to be, you don't need to teach everyone to be a mechanic or an aerodynamic engineer or, a, you know, mechanical engineer. They just need to learn how to drive the car. That's what most adults can do in the Western world. That's what most adults can do. They, they know how to drive a car. That's all we're asking them to do. I mean, totally, totally.
1: And it's funny, I speaking of El Salvador, I was, when we first went there, I think I was there with like Mark Moss and everything before it became legal tender. It was in um in July of 2021, I think. And we were there and uh, I think there was a clubhouse running. So I think spaces hadn't really taken off uh, to the degree it had yet. And we're on clubhouse and, uh, you know, it was me, Brecky, a couple of the Swan guys were there. And, um, And there was a question, it's like, you know, something about like, what's different about this generation of Bitcoiners and stuff like that, that, you know, really became HODLers, particularly through the, you know, sort of the 2018, 2019, 2020 bear market. And I said, there's something interesting about this era of Bitcoiners. And I don't know if this kind of archetype of person is going to last long. Like we're at a stage of Bitcoin where the kind of people it's attracting are truly like renegades or people who want to be you know the aeronautical engineer and figure it all out and everything like that but this kind of proves to me that we're still not even in the early adopter stage we're still in the tinkering stage of bitcoin as a as a revolution because the kind of yeah, exactly. We're still in the innovator stage because that's the sort of people it's attracting. Like it's attracting maniacs like you and me who are sitting here talking about Austrian economics and how we're gonna fix the oil. like the average person doesn't give a shit. Like, you know, when I when I've been traveling through Europe, for example, and you know, I just popped into Macedonia now and it's like I speak to my family here, it's like it's so foreign to them, it's like so they're like, Okay, so can I can I buy some food with it, right? So so they're the they're the people who are looking to drive the car. And I think this era of of Bitcoin is probably gonna be another cycle, maybe two, of people who are that interested in stuff. But at some point it's gonna be like people just don't care. It's like they'll they'll take for granted that it's money and that's what they're gonna use. And it's like I'm just sending some, I'm just receiving some. That's kinda of like what what I love about what um John Cavallo is doing over at Synonym. You know, he's trying to change the language and he's really taking a really interesting product approach for like how people will use this Bitcoin thing and kind of trying to abstract away from Bitcoin and go to like, hey, this is just money and this is a better wallet. It's a better way to spend. It's a better way to buy things. It's a better way to store your identity. And, you know, there you go. And and I think we've still got a way to go to get there because I still, you know, believe we need a strong cohort of, you know, the innovator archetype because of just the nature of where we are with Bitcoin. But, you know, yeah, as you said, like, at some point, we've got to stop or, or, or maybe not, you know, it's not up to us to choose when to start or stop this. But at some point, we've got to sort of the language will need to evolve to here's how to drive, not here's how to build the car um, or here's why the car works, you know, gotcha. or here's yeah. the mechanic thing.
0: Yeah. And I think part of that, even if we look at lightning wallets and how they've evolved, right, the early day lightning wallets, you had to be an expert or you had to know. What was going on in the background? Oh, okay. I've got this chat. This in- I've got this channel, but I don't have any inbound. Okay, let me spend some out of this channel now. I've got inbound capacity to receive. Oh, and uh, okay. Is my node down? Oh, I need to run this other thing, and I need to. You know, there's just all these little aspects. And nowadays, there are nice wallets like Breeze and Phoenix and Moon Wallet that handle all this stuff in the background, and you can just use it without really thinking too hard about it because the Complicated stuff is in the background. Now, okay, yeah, there's probably some more innovation coming and more innovation needed. Um, and perhaps some level of social normalization too. This idea that, oh, hey, we went out to dinner and let me pay you back my $30 for my share of the dinner. Okay, here, hit me with a lightning invoice or maybe in the, let's call it the slash tags context with a synonym. It's this idea that I have, you know, Svetsky as a contact in my BitKit or whatever, and um, I send you my share for the. For the dinner or whatever. So, you know, maybe that's that's one way it could work. I mean, and that's not that dissimilar. It's not that different from, let's say, in the US, people using the likes of Venmo or Cash App to send to each other. So, you know, it's, it's going to get there eventually. I think it, it's just harder to build um, in the non-custodial way, which is what we want to see. But I think part of it then is, yeah. So even taking away the kind of technical, how do you use it? I think part of it is also, how do we explain the uniqueness of what we're doing here? Because I'll give you another example. One of the videos I um, showed in El Salvador was buying coffee at Starbucks using my Zeus wallet, like connected to my own lightning node with my own channels. And so some of the commenters were saying, well, hang on, how's this different from Apple Pay? Or how's this different from India's UPI system? And Mm -hmm. you can understand how superficially, if you didn't understand what was happening in the background, oh, whatever, we already have this. If you're in Australia, Mm -hmm. you've already got Pay ID, or you've already got NPP, Mm -hmm. National Payments Platform. So I think that's part of our challenge is to explain, no, no, hold on. This is actually a separate monetary system and it was self-sovereign from the sender's point of view, right? Like that's, and it's hard to, how do you convey that, right? Yeah, that's tricky. I mean, this is, uh, you know,
1: we, we are all grappling i think in these podcasts on twitter you know writing these articles producing these publications to try and answer that question in a more eloquent way and yeah to, to your point i don't know if we've um if we've answered it in a way that is compelling enough because if if we had i think we'd have the world would be on a bitcoin standard right so so you know maybe the day that question is answered is the day that you know, we finally have hit that tipping point where the usage implies that that answer has been found. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's we've still got you know a lot of work to do. But you know, the, the the funny thing is, I mean, if we look at all the the FTX crap that's happened and all of that sort of stuff, it's you know the the existing status quo keeps in some part doing the job for us by proving. Why you know the the existing shitstorm is broken and like why it doesn't work and like you know losing everyone's money and and this is where you know Bitcoin's consistent narrative and and what what I think Bitcoin has really done well probably better than any other previous movement that I've seen is like we've managed to distill you know complex ideas in, into these sort of simple memes that are so consistent about Bitcoin like that they just don't change and that kind of overtime trust I think has a has a deep psychological impact on people's ability to start to move you know their wealth onto this because we're, we're asking a big thing really like you know I you know if, once again if I use my family here as an example like they're not financially literate you know they, they're sort of you know it's a Ask backwards village in the corner of a country which is basically broken you know ex-communist place and all that sort of stuff that they don't get it but you know they, they basically live paycheck to paycheck every month because you know the average uh, earnings here is 300 euros a month like that's how much people make here like they, they barely afford enough food and um and for them like you know the the more subtle um you know differences behind bitcoin as you said like for them you know they're, they're, it's a cash economy as well here i think it's a 70 80% cash economy everyone just uses cash they get paid cash and like for them they're not even they don't even trust putting their money in the bank here let alone like putting their wealth into this bitcoin thing like that's even another step far into them so i think it's going to take us time and as as you said it's not just a a technological change or you know ux ui change it's it's a cultural shift that needs to sort of happen and and that by definition is going to take a generation or two and you know we just happen to be in front of it so it's a i don't know it's, it's sometimes you know I, we we all get caught up and we definitely got caught up in this you know recent bull run we're like oh yeah you know 250k bitcoin and this and that and like you know global adoption and you know salvador picked it up and you know the, the all the dominoes are going to fall you know we, we're all suckers in that sense like we got carried away when it's like, hold on, bro, <laughs> like this thing is gonna take a while. <laughs> you know, the world ain't jumping on putting their life savings into cold storage tomorrow, okay? Like, hold your horses. And and I think, you know, if anything, this is sort of a good wake up call for us to sort of remind us that um, you know, we're not all king shit, we don't know everything, you know, we're not going on a Bitcoin standard tomorrow. <laughs> it's Gonna you know, take a time take some time and we just need to basically practice what we preach about Bitcoin, which is we need to orient ourselves in a low time preference manner and just like, you know, plug away. We just need to do the the small things consistently every single day in the same way as Bitcoin does the small things consistently every single ten minutes. We we need to do that. And I think we will slowly by slowly
0: just, you know, become the trusted thing and that's how we win. Yeah, I think you put it well there because we fundamentally have to stay humble and keep working right we can't just rest on our laurels and think oh hey it's all done and we can just no like we have to get out there and find ways to help teach people why they're being scammed right now by the fiat money system the fiat currency system and hopefully help them onboard in a non-custodial way i think that's really that is the game that is what we're trying to do here and in the ideal case what What I would like to see is more people, more and more people treat Bitcoin just like, hey, it's the cash economy, right? Bitcoin should be the cash economy, right? They should be doing lightning economy back and forth, right? If, you you know, I go and work in your restaurant as the waiter or whatever and you pay me in sats and then I go and buy my food with sats and, you know, that could be how this advances. If only we could show people the way.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a... That cash piece is very interesting because as as much as we're conditioned to have moved away from cash in the West, like whether Australia or Sweden or America and all that sort of stuff, like a big proportion of the world is still a cash economy. And yeah, if, if we can get good at you know articulating bitcoin as cash like here we go we're back to the white paper i'm gonna sound like roger vernell bitcoin <laughs> is electronic
0: cash <laughs> well with lightning it really is you know so it
1: really is but you know i mean ca- cash is you know the definition of cash is a bearer instrument that doesn't you know it's got nothing to do with just like payments it, and that's effective of what course, bitcoin yeah. is it's the, the best bearer instrument and if we can sort of teach people that it's just it, it's it's tricky because it's you know Cash has become so psychologically uh, associated to a physical object that you know we've got to somehow find a way to cross that chasm and you know i mean i don't know maybe what do we do do we print you know private keys on a
0: on a piece of paper and you know give that to people well you know there's like the sats card and stuff like this you uh-huh, know it's kind of uh-huh. like the new version of the open dime so but now these cards i think now this is from coin card right they're a sponsor but mm-hmm, these mm-hmm. cards are like seven bucks or so so they're pretty mm-hmm, cheap and mm-hmm. you can like do branded ones you could have like a you know, Svetsky branded or like a, the Bitcoin Times branded Sats cards and mm-hmm. stuff like this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's Maybe that's one idea. But yeah, look, I think part of it is just it's just going to take time, you know, and I think the other aspect is focusing on the young generation, right, because they are more tech savvy. They're used to they're just natively using phones and tablets and things. So maybe for them, it's an easier bridge for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 funny because it's like, it's simultaneously easier
1: and simultaneously not because it's it's easier where um, th- they'll get the technical piece, but maybe they won't have the understanding why cash is important, whereas the older generation gets they why get cash that. is important. But yeah, so, so it's kind of like a, you know, we, we are, and, and this, this is the challenge. Like, this is why I think it's, um, you know, when, when people think that you're going to get global adoption of Bitcoin tomorrow, it's like, th- they're genuinely naive. It's like, this is a hard problem to solve. You, you've got this sort of, two different cultures where each one is, you know, appreciates elements of Bitcoin for different reasons. And we actually give them the best of what they both want, but, you know, they're, they're sort of, they're not all the way there. And this is where I, you know, maybe in many ways, like our generation, because you and I are a similar age, it's like, you know, we, we kind of grew up just before the tech boom, you know, and we sort of, you know, we we're in school. Maybe that's why also like we get it so well. It's like, it's just the, it's no brainer. We, we're technical enough to get that piece, but we're also, you know, old and bald enough to, you know, get the <laughs> um, get the like the cash piece, and it's like sort of comes together for us. It's like uh, this is obvious, and yeah, I mean, m- maybe we need to like do a a bitcoin times gen what What are we a millennial edition we need to do the bitcoin times millennial edition where <laughs> well people i mean like us right why it makes sense
0: yeah but i think that's the other thing as well because a lot of our well a lot of this bitcoin twitter audience is probably in that age bracket right they are millennials or gen x maybe some boomers but it's probably mostly a millennial and gen x cohort is probably what i would say but i mean it comes back to what is our job the job that you and i and other bitcoiners have is to try and help normalize this in whatever way we can, whether that's, you know, investing in Bitcoin companies and uh, helping, you know, contribute in Bitcoin software or hardware, trying to teach people, whatever we can do to help normalize this thing is going to help advance our process and help, you know, speed the process of hyper-Bitcoinization, you know, but at the same time, we have to be humble and say, look, it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not just going to happen. It's going to take work. We're going to have to all put in that work so yeah. just to, to finish
1: that thought, I was just going to say, like, the we are literally building those cathedrals that took hundreds of years to build, where, you know, you're starting it, and you know, you're never going to see it to fruition. Like, I think we're doing that in a, in a modern sense, is like, we're going to build, we're going to set the foundations for something that, you know, we're not going to be alive to necessarily see the fruits of. I mean, maybe we will be, you know, we might be lucky enough that this will happen so fast that we'll get to see it. But yeah, in many ways, like... Our time is going to be spent laying these foundations, and that, and that's, you know, if there's something that is like kind of brings some chills down my spine and makes me, you know, think of. There is still hope for humanity. That you know the the essence of greatness still exists. It, it's that.
0: Yeah. But, well, anyway. I think that's a great spot to finish. So, listeners, make sure you check out the Bitcoin Times. Svetsky, tell tell us where can they where can they get it and where can they follow you? Yep.
1: So, Bitcoin BitcoinTimes.io. Um, they'll notice that it'll redirect to BitcoinTimes.com.au because I had an Australian uh, URL for it. But the um, the shop is now live. Uh, they can buy edition three, edition four collectibles they're available for shipping right now edition five collectibles they can pre-order them for uh christmas delivery um they're in the process of being printed now um edition one and two collectibles are not ready yet um they're being redesigned and they'll be printed early next year so people who want the whole collection you know they can sort of pick them up then there is a uh, a an early bird uh sorry not an early bird a a pre-sale on edition five right now so people can pick that up it's 10 percent off um there's something unique i'm doing this i'm tying the success of the bitcoin times to the success of bitcoin so when i launch it i launch it at about 50 60 dollars per copy of a collectible but the price is fixed in sats um so (laughs) if the price of bitcoin goes down it gets cheap if the price of bitcoin goes up it gets more expensive so um you know the the I, i launched um edition three and four uh back in august when bitcoin was still around you know the 20 k mark or whatever it was or 25k um so you know they're now nice and cheap um you know at the rate of bitcoin so anyway it's um it's a bitcoin only shop um they can go and support it we've integrated mash as well so people can actually boost and tip articles on there uh if they like what they're reading and things like that um it's available as a pdf um if you want the pdf for free you can Give us your email. If you don't want to give us your email, you can tip some sats, um, and you can get a high res copy of the PDF. And yeah, it's it's uh, on Twitter at Timeless Bitcoin. Um, so you can jump on and you know share threads there on not just the articles, but sort of broader ideas. So like the other day, I shared a thread which was inspired by Rahim's article about the Scholastics, um, who are the sort of theologians of the Middle Ages, who basically, in in many ways.
0: They were kind of like a proto-Austrians.
1: Yeah, proto-Austrians. So so there's some really interesting stuff in there. If people want to sort of learn more about like history and, you know, broader thoughts, um, that Twitter account is pretty cool. And um, and yeah, I'm on Svetsky Rights, If you want to, you know, follow any of my stuff, I'm sometimes abrasive. You know, my, my, my New Year's resolution for 2023 is to stop or minimize trolling. So it's going to be less personal opinions, more threads and education. So let's see if that works.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that's great. And uh, yeah, great to chat and hope to see you soon. Thanks, brother. Get the show notes over at stefanlevera.com slash 435, and I will see you in the Citadels.